Hello and welcome. It's Monday and it's Motivational Monday by Jim and Lucy. Today our special guest will get you going not for a week but for a year ahead because he knows everything about well, I'm not going to try to read the title of your book, Mason. Sorry, you're going to tell it all to our listeners yourself. Welcome. This is Mason Harris. Hello, Mason. Well, hello, Lucy and Jim. It is truly a pleasure to be here. As far as the title of my book, God, I wish I could remember what I titled it. I'm kidding. <laughs> it, it is The Chutzpah Advantage. Go bigger, be bolder, do better. And... Um, Chutzpah is one of those words that are not necessarily common to our uh, our audience's ears, because uh, if they're mostly English speakers, the ch sound is not something that we've grown up with. And uh, I've seen it pronounced as the ch can be like a, a k, like character. It can be chutzpah. It could be chai, like the t. Um, I think of it, and actually even chutzpah. People drop the C frequently, kind of like a, a, a stop sign in Toronto. You don't really need to stop. You can go through. It's the same with the C. You don't need to pronounce the C. It's just chutzpah. So it'll work either way. Well, you know what? When I think about chutzpah, I, I think in terms of the uh, Spanish word, I guess. I'm not sure if it's Spanish or not. Cajonics, uh, okay. right? Okay, I think about that. Like you said earlier, gumption and so on. And so as I hear about right now, not just the quiet resignation, the quiet firing, the quiet, the quiet quitting and so on, I keep hearing about people right now having anxiety, worrying about is their job going to be there tomorrow and so on. But you need this hispa, don't you? You know, we need it. And actually, we all have it. I, I was asked recently, um, I said to an audience, you know, you guys had chutzpah as a kid. What happened? And I was like, what do you mean? I was the shyest kid around. I never did anything that, that would make you think of chutzpah. And I said, do you ride a bicycle? He said, yeah. Because how old were you when you learned? I was probably about five. I said, let me ask you when, you, when your parents took off those training wheels and they said, you're going to balance this and we're going to help you. Yes. What were you worried about? I was worried about falling. I was worried about getting hurt. I was worried about being laughed at. I said, what you did was you stretched boundaries and probably you fell. Oh yeah, I fell lots of times, he said. And you might've gotten a little bit hurt. Fortunately, not too bad, but you got back up on that bike. That was your stretching boundaries that was age appropriate. By the way, do you ever worry about falling on a bicycle now if you still ride? He says, I actually do ride and I don't think about it. And I said, that's just like chutzpah. When you master the skill set. You're doing things automatically. There are new areas for you to stretch yourself, to, to move beyond what's expected by others of you and by yourself. That's an, the essence of chutzpah, but there are layers of it and key behaviors and characteristics that I love sharing with you. Well, guess I think that's great because a lot of people need this right now. And like you said, they've always had it, but they didn't know they always had it. Mm -hmm. So what is it that we always have with us that allows us to go further? That's a great question. Can I ask you a question? How might you define chutzpah? I heard cojones, which is actually a great one. Um, I was actually, I did a presentation to a group of business leaders and I asked the question, 
and a woman in the second row in the front raised her hand and said, gave the English version of cojones. She just yells out balls. And the entire audience broke up. And turns out she was the successful founder of a good sized company. And her approach is that, look, everybody has it. I'm a woman and I have balls, meaning that I have the ability to persevere, to look beyond the people who object, who put uh, barriers in front of me. You don't think that's hard? And I said, of course I do. I get it. I would frequently ask people, what do uh, Elon Musk, um, Serena Williams, and even uh, Arthur Ashe and Elizabeth Holmes have in common? And they go, well, Elon Musk, guy, the, the world's wealthiest man. Serena Williams and Arthur Ashe, well, they're, they're great tennis players. And Elizabeth Holmes, isn't she the woman that went to jail for her role in, in um, the medical, the, the blood testing company? And I said, yes. So what do they have in common? And they said, I'm not quite sure. And I said, frankly, it's chutzpah. And there are a couple of lessons here. You don't have to be a billionaire or the founder of a truly successful company to have chutzpah. If you are an entrepreneur, if you even want to improve yourself, the self-help side, what can I do to make my life happier, to make my work more productive in a company? Or I'm thinking of starting a company, but I don't know how to do it, and I'm scared of failing. That's where chutzpah comes in. So Elon Musk is an easy one. Uh, Serena Williams, Arthur Ashe, well, Serena, well, Arthur Ashe broke into uh, tennis acclaim as a black person, as a black man in a, in a sport that was mostly white. He took a lot of uh, abuse from fans and, and uh, other players, but he did it because he wasn't going to lot, let them put a stop to his dreams. And then Elizabeth Holmes is just a great example of the idea that chutzpah is not good or bad. Chutzpah is a skill set. And I was asked, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, if the three of us were to sit and uh, or register for a course in uh, software programming, we want to become developers because we know that those Silicon Valley companies are paying a fortune for people to program. They can never get enough good programmers. At the end of the course, uh, you might create a program that makes businesses more efficient, that allows salespeople to do their expense reports in an app on their phone. That's how it all developed. Or you might do something that shows uh, the best ways to distribute food in uh, areas that are short of food for whatever reason, famine, war, anything to help get that out and benefit the most people. Those are really admirable programs. I might decide, huh, I have this skill set. I'm going to create ransomware. And I'm going to steal from banks and people because I'll I'll basically be able to control their computer and they won't get their control back until they pay me. It's a skill set. We use our skill sets based on our morality. Chutzpah is no different. Yes, that's a great example, Mason. We happen to have uh, interviewed a person the other day that gave me another meaning for it. I mean, it's perfect what you're saying, but he talked about uh, his interviewing cancer patients patients. And I hadn't thought of this before, but he talked about a woman who had uh, lost her job and so on, had been divorced and had struggled with cancer and had five major surgeries. 
And he talked about how she had persisted and as she overcame. And I thought, that's like you said, Huspa. She didn't give up. She stayed in the fight. She didn't try to beg for the, she didn't try to beg for it to be given to someone else. She plowed through it somehow with all the pain and the loneliness. Now that's, that's courage. It, it is. And it's interesting. Chutzpah has eight letters. I use those letters as an acronym to represent each of the eight key behaviors and characteristics. What you describe, and I actually, in my book, I talk about cancer patients or people who have gotten a diagnosis and said, I'm not giving up. <laughs> I'm going to fight this. And I don't even, I don't accept your uh, sharing with me that I have yeah, six months to live. I, owe, I better put my affairs in, or, in order. And the person I'm speaking about is here 25 years later. So the when I talk about the acronym, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H, those are the eight letters of chutzpah. What you're speaking about for some people in this particular case is purpose. So that cancer patient who says, I still have too much living I need to do. I'm not ready to give up. I yes. have grandchildren on the way. I have kids who still look to me for, for wisdom, for advice. I know that's rare, but, but, <laughs> but sometimes it happens <laughs> that we have that. Um, and basically, he got that diagnosis. The diagnosis was correct as to the type of cancer he had. The uh, oncologist, though, was wrong as to uh, how he was going to beat it when he said, you really should be thinking about putting your affairs in order. He ended up three days later at another hospital in uh, Houston, Texas, uh, where he met with somebody who said, you know, I agree with the diagnosis. You do have this and it's serious. However, unlike the doc you spoke with who maybe sees one or two cases like this a year, I see 25 to 30. I know how we're gonna get you healthy. You're a strong guy physically and emotionally. You're gonna survive this. That really made the difference. Yes. Right. And when we also think about chutzpah, or actually, I'll, I'll go further, life. There is so much beyond our control that falls into the category of luck, good luck and bad luck. Getting cancer is bad luck. We know people who smoke and get cancer and people who smoke who don't get cancer. Um, what Are you familiar with the book, Man's Search for Meaning? By yes. Victor? Okay. So then, you know, he speaks about purpose and he says his experiences, we don't want to go into detail here. Um, your audience can look it up. One of the, the, the best books I've ever read, most impactful. So when I say best, I don't want you to think you'll be laughing. Oh, this is such a joy to read. It isn't. It's a very difficult book to read. But in essence, he said there were two things that kept people alive in his situation. One was luck and the other was their purpose. So bad luck, you couldn't avoid in that situation. You were selected, you were gone. Good luck kept you alive another day. But it's what you did during that day and your emotional state of mind, your purpose for living, for putting up with everything you had to take. As people, we are all subject to high stress, situations beyond our control. So the luck piece, leveraging good luck and bad luck. People say, how do you leverage bad luck? 
I said, well, if you're an entrepreneur and you've worked your, you and your team have worked your, your butt off to get to close a deal and they choose somebody else, you can say to yourselves, well, they made the wrong decision. They're idiots. They're fools. Uh, let's just get out of here and we're going to move on. Or you can say, okay, they did it for a reason. I need to understand the reason. We have some good connections there at the company. Let's ask them why they didn't choose us. So we can leverage, leverage this bad luck into an experience that will enable us to win the next time or to constantly improve ourselves. I firmly agree with you, Mason. <clears throat> Excuse me, you know, parenthetically, I lived in a homeless shelter hmm. years ago after my divorce of almost 25 years ended. I found myself in a homeless shelter. I was depressed and I didn't have any fr friends. My family left me, my church disowned me. And so I wondered, what was I going to do? Well, I knew what I was going to do. I went and got a job. And uh, three months later, I bought a condo on Main Street, just blocks away. And I hired people from that homeless shelter to work for me. But my point being is that uh, you find, like you said, purpose. You find something within you. Even when you're down, you find something within you to get up to do it. Now, my wife has huspa. She didn't know that word living in Ukraine, but I watched her as a single parent who was writing letters on articles on leadership on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn is where we met because I read her leadership articles for four years, period. I was Without a, a doubt. And you've just raised something interesting. Leadership, which is, Lucy, your expertise and chutzpah. Um, for the last 14 months, I opened my presentations by saying, this is for people say chutzpah. Come on, you're kidding me. That's what I'm. That's what I'm investing my time and my money listening to you in a presentation or workshop about. I say let's take a look at leadership and chutzpah. This is the quote that inspires me every morning, and the quote is, "The fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride." And this was Ukrainian President Lensky. The day the Russians or the day after the Russians invaded. And how did this come about? The US and other Western nations basically offered a way out, sanctuary for the leaders, the political leadership of Ukraine, as they had in Afghanistan uh, several months beforehand, yes. a year beforehand. Um, and in Afghanistan, they took it and US military said, they're probably going to hold out in Kabul for about three to five months. Well, I think it was about three to five hours before it, the country was gone. So here they are, uh, another time and place. The mighty Russian army, um, Putin with his, with his finger on nuclear weapons and his ability to control uh, armies and, and basically implement his own desires. And uh, they estimated then... Oh my God, Ukraine, uh, uh, Kiev is not going to last a week. Well, once again, we were wrong. And there's a lesson there. Experts are valuable, but that doesn't mean that they're right. Yes. You can listen to the experts, but then you also have a sense in your own. The experts were wrong in this case. And what Zelensky did from a leadership standpoint was say, 
I am not abandoning my country, my fellow countrymen, my citizens. I am here because you elected me president and I'm not leaving. And here it is. Hopefully the future doesn't turn against, but I don't think any thinking person is going to say that, uh, boy, I really expected this. Until you got into the Ukrainian spirit and you saw what their leader did to inspire everybody. Well, we inspire people at work. If we're leaders, managers, entrepreneurs, we inspire our teams. To me, this was an exceptional uh, example. And then usually I get people's attention after I give them that example. I have no doubt you don't. I'm so glad we had you on today. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Mason. Uh, before we conclude this conversation, how about you tell us, um, you mentioned that chutzpah is a skill set. When we talk about skill set, that means that something that we not inherit, but we can learn and, I don't know, somehow learn to have in our lives, learn to manage, learn to use in our lives. So first question is, how do we do that? Because when we hear about this example of great leaders, most people are like, okay, and now you will hear like 10 excuses why I can do, why they can and I can. So what is it skill set and how can we acquire it? Okay, so first using that, that acronym for chutzpah, we, we, we look at what these key behaviors and characteristics are. And I'll, I'll share them with you very quickly. And then you can ask me if, uh, if there's a specific one you'd like to discuss. The C at the beginning of chutzpah stands for carpe diem, seize the opportunity. We all know people who are idea people because look, I'm an idea person. I don't implement. I just tell you, uh, I come up with these ideas and you can run with it. These are the people who, uh, while watching uh, Shark Tank, and I, I believe you get Shark Tank, uh, sit there, they watch the TV and they go, oh my God, I had that idea three years ago. That's my idea. And he, and he just got he, he just got Barbara Corcoran to invest in him. And then the partner, the spouse, whomever says, uh, well, if you put down your Cheetos and actually do something instead of just coming up with the idea, carpe diem, sees the opportunity, maybe right. things will be different. Yes. Okay? H stands for handling objections, which is something we all do. And we've done it since birth, right? In the moment we can speak, the probably the first word that many of us come up with when a, a, a parent or an adult says, I need you to stop doing that. Our response is no. It's a very easy way to handle an objection, but that's, no, we're, we are exerting our will. In everyday situations, we run across people that say, no, I, I can't do that. I don't have the time for that. No, I don't want to go there. Be it sales, be it working with teams, everybody has their own interest. So how does one in a respectful manner handle that objection and move the discussion to a point where people can work together, create alignment? That's the second behavior that's critical. And these are from, from uh, Carpe Diem. You can learn how to be better at... Uh, actually taking advantage of an opportunity. You have it, season the, uh, you don't just suddenly decide, you know, I think um, I'm going to jump out of an airplane. I've never done that before. It's my 50th birthday. I want to skydive. That might take a little bit of courage. I don't know necessarily know that it's really chutzpah. It's like courage, like, oh, you're going to do it. Nobody else's. So carpe diem, handling objection. 
The U stands for uncovering need, pain, and opportunity. Uh, Uber is a wonderful example, by the way, of recognizing uh, the need first. We all understand, we all can see problems and we all have problems in our companies or our personal lives. But until it becomes a pain, we don't necessarily move on it. Okay, the pain is what says, oh, uh, you know, I wish I'd been to the dentist in the last four years, but I figured I didn't need it. I needed to go regularly. But when you get that toothache, you're on the phone and you're saying, oh, I got to come in for an emergency appointment, doctor. That's the difference between need and pain. We act when we realize either we're in pain now or we're headed for pain. Need is about, okay, at least we, we understand it. Or sometimes we don't even know the need. Uber was a great example. They felt, uh, or people were accustomed to cabs are all over the place. There's public transportation, buses, trains, there's private services, limousines. We don't need this ride sharing. We don't need anything else. We're covered. And then you might say, what about if uh, it's raining, it's snowing? Well, okay, maybe then I would need some help, but that's so rare, it's infrequent. Well, the whole company arose because the founders were stuck in a snowstorm in Paris if, uh, at a business conference. And they're freezing going, this is crazy. Uh, we can't get a cab, the streets are empty. The snow is getting bigger as we stand here. And, uh, and we've got a two mile walk to the hotel. And then somebody says, wait, why can't we just reach out and get a, a phone, uh, use our phone to, to, to get a cab service? And that sparked the idea. And they were feeling the pain at the moment that led to the opportunity. So the U, understanding need, pain, and opportunity. The T is about trailblazing. Trailblazing is more than just, um, I'm going to be the first to do something. Sometimes you're the first in your family to go to college, which means you've stretched your boundaries and the expectations of you. Everybody here has always gone and worked in the, uh, the local auto plants. So I don't want to do that. I want a college degree. I see other op opportunities for myself. You can be a trailblazer in your own way. Um, the Z is zigzag. It's about getting around those very big obstacles. More than handling objections, it's about, I've been to 20 banks. I can't get a loan from my uh, company. Or I've been to a dozen publishers. Nobody will publish my book. Most people give up after the first no. That, that becomes an insurmountable obstacle for them. People with chutzpah figure out, okay, let's see, the bank won't finance me. I'm gonna find another way. I'm gonna build my business some other way. You mentioned actually, Jim, that you went from the homeless shelter to finding a job, to opening a business and hiring other people who are homeless. There is a, a story, a gentleman in New York, who did not come from the easiest of uh, upbringings. He grew up in a poor neighborhood in Manhattan. Educational resources were less than they should have been, quite honestly. I think at times uh, our public school system fails us. Um, but by the time he was 19, he was clearing $2 million a year. Okay, He was a drug dealer. He had chutzpah. He looked at the opportunities as he worked his way through the organization. And he said, you know, there's a, there's a big issue here. 
we sell on street corners. And I'm not telling people to do this, by the way, just so everybody knows this is not what I'm encouraging. But there's a, there's a lesson here. Um, how about if we create a delivery service and we go after a higher level of, of clientele, white collar users instead of blue collar users or other poor people, and we'll deliver to them so that they don't have to come to this neighborhood and stand on the street corner and exchange cash and be involved in those risks. Well, he became very successful until he went to jail. Um, he serves his time. He has a purpose while in jail, by the way, which gets to the rest of the chutzpah. Just before going in, he had a son. And he swore to himself, I've got to get out of here because I need to give my son a better upbringing than I had. I have to teach him right from wrong. I have to teach him what I've learned. Uh, well, while in jail, uh, the other issue he had, he was 70 pounds overweight. His doctor said, you're not going to survive this. Well, his first couple of months in solitary confinement, he realized he needed to do something, and he started creating exercises for himself using just his body weight, because they don't give you much in solitary confinement. It's a sink, a toilet, uh, a toilet and maybe a toothbrush. Uh, that's about it. And some books, of course. So by the time he got out, he was in the best shape of his life. And the people in the general population, prison population said, whoa, what happened to you? Can you teach me to do what you did? So he learned how to train. He learned how to take the methods he learned, share it with others, and demonstrate the results they had. Well, by the time he got out, he was in great shape. He could not get a job because he was a felon. He was an ex-convict. Um, and companies weren't hiring. So he took the skills he had. He created business cards. And he said, you know, I identified my target market real quickly. They were women in yoga pants. So anytime he saw that, he'd go up, he'd give him a card, he'd introduce us, he says, look, since he couldn't open a business, the banks weren't lending money to him, he would hold sessions in a park, group sessions. And maybe it'd start with two people at once and it grew and grew bigger and they would pay him five, 10, 15 bucks for the session, whatever it was. Over time, he realized this isn't gonna work. Inclement weather, rain, snow, I can't do this, but I'm growing. So he went back, and by this time, he found an organization who worked with, with uh, convicted criminals who were out trying to lead a, a better life, and they lent him the money to get his first facility open. And what did he do? He only hired other ex-convicts who had difficulties getting jobs because he knew how, how hard it was to leave the old life behind, especially when society doesn't make it easy. That's chutzpah. That's a great story. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And it's it's not my story. He's on. Uh, he has a TED talk. He's got a book. It's 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 great stuff. I I meant I write about him in the book. Name, great. website, all that stuff. Okay, so that was uh, the Z, I believe we were uh, we were doing the zigzag. How he had to overcome obstacles. I'm not hiring you. I'm not hiring. I'm not hiring you. Well, then I've got to do this myself. Because after uh, the Z, again, is the P, the purpose. I, I struggle to get out of prison because of my son. Well, now I'm going to struggle because I have another purpose. I have to stay here. I have to be a role model for him. The next one is A, which I call ambiguity minimization, which comes into the decision-making processes that we all have. We all face decisions. Some decisions are a lot harder than others. There are models out there that teach us how to evaluate risk, 
and make better decisions. The worst thing we do is just assume, you know, I'm going to hold off on this and see what happens because then it's out of our control to a large extent. There's a good, uh, Jeff Bezos used to speak about one decision model he used. He called it a one-way swinging door versus a two-way swinging door. The idea being that, um, you know, two-way swinging door is easy. I'm the head of a company and uh, I'm not pleased with the vendor that provides my office supplies. This person who just came in, she's actually pretty convincing and she's got, uh, she's impressed me with a presentation. Two-way swing doors, I'll give it a try. If it doesn't work out, it's easy to replace a vendor like that, to correct that decision. Oh my God, they're not delivering on time. I'm going to have to go back to my old vendor or find somebody new. So you go back through that door, you change your decision. The one-way decisions are the ones that are life-altering or potentially. You, you go through that door and it closes behind you and I can't get through this door again. It is locked shut. So I need to make it work. So he says, too often people consider their easy decisions, their two-way swing doors, as if they're one-way. And they agonize. They spend weeks. They call meetings. Which, which uh, office uh, provider or office uh, product provider should we use? Why are you bringing six people together to discuss this? Make the decision. It's an easy one. So yes. the ability to evaluate opportunity, risk, trust your intuition, which is what, um, uh, my God, there's, uh, I've been trying to think of the author right now, uh, Outliers. Mm -hmm. Uh, speaks about it. He's got a number of great books. I apologize. It's a Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, right. And here I've got a dozen of his books right behind me <laughs> on the bookshelf. But Gladwell speaks about, you know, sometimes we don't trust our decision uh, quickly enough. And frequently it's right. Doesn't mean you jump into it, but, you know, that person is something special. I'm going to give that person a chance. So that's the A. And the last one, the H, is the one that surprises a lot of people. I call it humility. The recognition that we are where we are because of the people, the talent we surround ourselves with. And there are some leaders, and, and Lucy, you know this because of your leadership, that just jump in there and claim the credit. It's like, oh yeah, my company, this is what I did. I grew it here and this is where we are. And yeah, I, I don't wanna pat myself on the back too hard because I'll injure myself. But yeah, it's about me. Other leaders, we've accomplished a lot this year as a group. And I want to thank A, B, C, D, and E for their roles in our meeting on numbers, in introducing a new product, in breaking new ground in what we've done. That's humility. It's the ability to share successes, the ability to apologize when we've made mistakes. There's the old expression, um, uh, success has a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan. Yes. Yes. everybody claims yeah that was my project oh i was heavily involved in that you saw one memo but we all want to say oh that's success yeah i i want that glory to shine on me but the failures i had nothing to do with it you ran the project no 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 that's that was just a title i really had nothing to do with it people with humility own up to their errors learn from them don't blame others so that's a, in a nutshell, the model. There are numerous stories in the book and the presentations. There are numerous exercises in the workshops. That's where I want to see people improve their chutzpah. 
But if you also are in an organization, what can you do to infuse chutzpah as part of the culture? Yes. Because that will make organizations grow quickly too. Absolutely. Great, great. That will be very important. Well, thank you very much, Mason, for joining us today and sharing. Our dear listeners, please go to Mason's website. It's thechutzpahguy.com. You can find link in the description to this episode. Work with him. Read the book. You'll find a lot of interesting stories. This is a great way for you to start catapulting your career right now and your life and your relationships because it takes courage. It takes support to change your lives. Yeah. And don't worry about failure. It's going to make you stronger. That's it. Indeed. It certainly will. Thank you both, Lucy and Jim. This has really been a pleasure. I appreciate Indeed. it. Indeed. It's been ours. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Motivational Monday by, by Jim, Jim and Lucy. Lucy. Follow our podcast. And check out our website, jimandlucywoods.com.